Good morning. My name is Todd. I have the uh, joy of being on the pastoral team here. Uh, and as we enter into this time of opening God's Word, I've asked a few people to join me up here to simply give a reading um, of the scriptures before we dive into the teaching time. So if you guys want to join me up here in the front. Um, and the hope again in this is that we've had some time of worship, of singing and praising the Lord, that this would be a time to just pause and slowly take in what the Lord has spoken back over us. And so... Uh, we have three main scriptures we'll be in today, and uh, we're going to read through those together. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. Um, and God, as we open your word together, may your spirit speak to us exactly what we need. Whether that's encouragement and truth, whether that's your grace um, and conviction, uh, we just trust that you are present in this place um, and you are mighty to work in our lives. So we thank you for this time. Thank you for your goodness. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Well, uh, if it wasn't obvious, today's theme is love. As we conclude this Advent season, um, and as we've walked through the themes of hope and peace and joy, our fourth theme will be love. Um, love is one of those words that, as you very well know, <laughs> is well overused in our culture. Right? We, we use the word love for almost everything. We say phrases like, oh, I love my wife and I love football. Those two things should be very different, and yet we use the exact same word to describe them. We say we love music and I love my dog. You say I love my friends and I love a good book. Uh, if you're from the Midwest, you love brats and ice cream. Even when it's below zero outside, ice cream is good. Right? So there, there's this sense of this word love that we use in so many ways, but it means very, very different things. The only problem with this is that when we use love for describing a lesser thing, then when we mean to use the word in its full power and depth and meaning, we can lose a bit of what it really means. It isn't to blame anyone, but it's to point out that for all the ways that we do use the word love, I'm not sure we actually know what it means. 
I think we need to take some serious advice from one of the great thinkers of the 80s, Mendel Bruce Pattenkin, better known as Anigo Montoya. Here's a quick word for us. You got very good arms. He didn't fall? Inconceivable. You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. You keep on using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. And so it is with the word love in our culture. So how do we know what it actually means? If we just look around us and take, take the example that is set uh, by our culture, what we see is probably more closely related to a sense of feeling, to a sense of satisfying a desire, to a sense of gratifying one's longing, which isn't bad necessarily. Those, those are pieces in what a fuller meaning of love means, but if we take one piece and try and make it the whole, we completely minimize and lose the heart and the depth of what love truly is meant to be. So then what do we do? Where do we look? How do we have a solid understanding of what this word love means? Well, if looking around us doesn't always work, uh, I would suggest looking up. 1 John 4.8 tells us that God is love. He is the embodiment and the source of love, love with skin on. So if we want to see what true love looks like, then we must look at the person of love. 1 John 4, as we already read, goes on to say, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. So what does Christmas teach us about true love, about God's love? Many, many things, but today we're going we're gonna to sit on four this morning to talk about. Four characteristics, four aspects of true love, of God's love, that help us understand what love is. First place we're going to turn to is Matthew 1, verse 23. Uh, this is at the very beginning of the Gospel of Matthew. Um, an angel has already appeared to Mary, right, and told her that uh, she's going to become pregnant, right, though she's... Doesn't, has never known a man, though physically there's no possible way that could happen, that God, in his power and by working his miracle, uh, she's going to bear a child. And not only that, that this child is going to be the savior of the world, the Messiah, the one she's been waiting for. Well, after that happens and she informs her fiancé of the reality that she's pregnant, we don't know the whole details of that conversation, but Joseph had a few doubts. Uh, to, under, to all of a sudden discover his fiancée is pregnant and he had nothing to do with it. What is happening? And so God in his goodness sends an angel to Joseph to say, look, it's not what you think it is. Okay, this baby is truly because of me. It is not man's doing here. It is my work. Um, and he reminds Joseph of this old prophecy from Isaiah 700 years earlier that said, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is perhaps one of my favorite names of God. Emmanuel, God with us. And what it teaches us, the first thing about love that it teaches us is that love is incarnational. In its simplest and most powerful level, at its very essence, love says, I will be with you. Maybe you can think of a time where you <laughs> needed to know you were 
loved when you were going through a difficult situation and someone met you there in that place where you were. And as you think back on that, what showed you that that person loved you? Did they have the perfect answer for the thing you were going through? Did they know exactly what needed to be done to fix the situation? Sometimes, maybe, perhaps, more often, no. But they were there. They showed up. The simple act of being with you proved their love for you. If you consider uh, marriage vows, or at least the, the old classics, which go something like, I take you, dot, 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 to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until parted by death. This promise of marriage, there's this declaration of, I will be with you. I will stay with you. Nothing will separate us. As you consider that, <laughs> Pause for a moment and think about the divine element, though, with God's promise to love us. For one person to promise to another person, I'm going to be with you is admirable. For God, the creator of everything, holy and perfect, <laughs> Lord of all, to promise to us, I will be with you through everything. Man, it just compounds the love that he shows us. Philippians 2, 6 and 7 says, Though he, Jesus, was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Can you think of a time when someone showed you grace and love that you knew you didn't deserve? This is that on the cosmic level. We did nothing to deserve God's love, but because he is love, because it is his nature, he graciously and humbly came down to be with you and me, to declare, I will be with you. Love draws near. Love is first and foremost present. Love is incarnational. In the very next verse of 1 John, verse uh, 10, it says, This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Love is not only incarnational, but it's sacrificial. Here again, think of a time in your life when someone made a sacrifice on your behalf. Um, you kids in the room, if you're not thinking perhaps of your parent, or especially your mother, uh, think a little harder. Um, if you had parents who were faithful and present in your life, they made sacrifices on our behalf, right? Things that they gave up, things that they would have maybe done differently had we not been there. Things they would have enjoyed more had we not been there, uh, <laughs> right? They, there's so much of a time of sacrifice of saying, for this child I will be with and care for and put my own agenda to the side in order to elevate the needs of my child at least when we parent well, isn't always the case. Right? There's this sacrifice, and there's something recognized of that, of love, that sacrifice is built into the bedrock of what love is. When someone sacrifices for you, it declares that they love you and value you more than some other thing, more than themselves. 
It is a telltale sign of true love. And where else would we go but John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And as we read that, we have to remember that God was not required to make the sacrifice on our behalf. He didn't have to do it. He would be and is totally just and right and holy had he not chosen to die on our behalf for our sins. There was no obligation on him to make that sacrifice for us. And yet, though nothing demanded that he become a baby, that nothing demanded he would live as a man in a broken world, nothing demanded that he die for our sins, he gave up his life willingly as a sacrifice. As love incarnate, God found it good and right to give himself for us. Self-sacrifice rather than self-satisfaction. Giving up his body rather than gratifying his body. Enduring the pain of the cross rather than bowing to the pain that he endured in that moment. We have to understand our sins did not hold Jesus on the cross. His love for sinners held him there on the cross. Bob Goth, in one of his books, says, that's what love does. It pursues blindly, unflinchingly, and without end. When you go after something you love, you'll do anything it takes to get it, even if it costs everything. And the prophet Isaiah, 700 years earlier, talked about what Jesus would do on the cross when he said it was for our weakness, yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. We thought it was... His troubles, we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. True love will sacrifice anything and everything for the object of its love. For some strange, unexplainable reason, you and I are the objects of God's love. And what's more, not only that he made this sacrifice, that this love is unconditional. If you turn to Matthew 5, Jesus is teaching his followers about love. And this is what he says. You have heard that the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as a true children of your Father in heaven. He gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends his rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you only love those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different than anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. A quick side note. Unconditional love is the basis of perfection. Like that's, that, that's what's used to show perfection, unconditional love. Man, how often do we base our definition of perfection off something totally different? Unconditional love is God's basis of perfection. <laughs> 
And what this means, that God's love is unconditional, is that his love for you is not determined by your behavior. It is not determined by your feelings. It is not determined by your circumstances. Really, it's not about you. It is about God and the overflow of who he is. Because God is love. May I take a moment to those who doubt God's love for them, if you're in the room today. This idea of God's unconditional love is really easy up here. But the distance from the head to the heart can feel like miles sometimes. And honestly, based on the culture we live in, it it does make sense that that's a difficult thing for our hearts to, to understand and to experience. We live in a world with this elementary principle of karma. Tit for tat, what goes around comes around. If I am good, good things are going to come. If I love God, he is going to love me. What happens for all of us in the room who aren't perfect? What happens when we're not doing enough good? What happens when we're not loving God or loving the people around us? Romans 5.8 God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You did nothing to earn God's love. You can do nothing to lose his love. His love is unconditional. While we were still sinners, he died for us. While we were living in spiritual and moral darkness, God died for you and me. This means that his love is not determined by us. So for the rebels, the ragtags, the nobodies in the room, which is all of us in one way or another, God's love for you is unconditional. And I love not only that on the cross Jesus died to forgive our sins, that by faith we can receive that, God in his love Not only does that, but then he gives us this really beautiful, loving thing called repentance. This act of God of saying, in love, I'm stretching out my hand to you. And you don't have to do anything to earn it. You don't have to do anything to clean yourself up. All you have to do is take hold of my hand and come home to be with me. That if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. For some of you in the room, maybe, maybe the struggle right now isn't with some sin that you're going through. Maybe the doubt comes more from the circumstances and the situations you're in in your life. Right? That is, you just look at what you're facing this week or this month or this year, the sense of hopelessness, the sense of unbearable, the sense of, God, where are you in the middle of all this comes to mind. Maybe some of you can relate. Some of you lost your job. (laughs) Some of you have children who are struggling in so many different ways. I'm a young parent. I thought the weight of your children struggling in something was something you just had when your kids were young. Um, And then, as I'm so thankful for how honest in the community of our church, but I also hear that as you're old and your kids are adults, their struggles are still just as hard for you. So... um, Thank you, I think, for letting me in on that. Um, It's both encouraging and uh, scary. Um, But that's a real challenge. 
Perhaps some of you, looking to the next year, didn't get into the college you had put all your hopes in. Perhaps some of you just wrapped up this semester and it was nothing like you had expected. Perhaps some of you were in a romance that, in your mind, the only conclusion was going to be marriage and then it concluded without reason and is over. <laughs> Completely the opposite. For others, there's, there's additional things in life, marriages that are crumbling, that you're just trying to keep your marriage together. It feels hopeless. Um, in the past year, there's been so many deaths in our church family. Um, and just the weight of the loss and the grief that that brings. <laughs> to lose a child, to lose a spouse, to lose a parent, to lose a brother, a sister, a dear friend, that weight with Jesus and with the hope he brings us is still overwhelming in moments. And some of you are right in the thick of it. So God, where is your love for me in the middle of those moments? I am so thankful for God's word. I am so thankful that his spirit knew these were questions we were going to ask. Knew we were going to go through situations and challenges where we didn't know where to turn in this question. And I think he wrote this one for us. Romans 8, 35 through 39 says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the objective truth of God's love. Nothing can separate you from it. God's love for you is as sure as Christ's death on the cross and resurrection from the grave. There is no changing it. And when this truth becomes real in our hearts, when, when this becomes something that we experience and we know firsthand, it leads to the fourth dimension of love we want to talk about this morning. That God's love is not only unconditional, but it is transformational. Men, that God's love changes us changes us from the inside through to the outside. Let me read Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. <clears throat> this is a prayer that the Apostle Paul prays, and he's just spent the last chapter uh, and a half walking through the gospel, walking through the reality that Christ loves us so much that he would die for our sins, that in grace he gives us new life with him, that because of this way in which he's reconciled us to God, we can be reconciled with one another. And we can live this life with purpose. And all this talk about God and all that he's done leads him into this prayer. He says, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Right? The glorious, unlimited resources of God empowered in us by the presence of his spirit in us. 
then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him, right? There's this aspect of faith in Christ and as he makes his home in our hearts that our roots will grow down into God's love and keep us strong. Where does strength come from? Knowing the love of Christ. Strength is not a power play. Strength is not manipulation and control and getting what you want. Strength is from a deep experience of the love of God in your life. That is what produces strength in our hearts and our souls for us to engage and walk through the situations we face in our life. Verse 18, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. All glory to God, who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. And I think that's referring both to what he does in us is infinitely more than what we might ask or think and what he does through us, around us, is infinitely more than we would ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all the generations forever and ever. Amen. Worship team, if you want to join me. This is the love of God. Jesus, the Son of God, the Prince of Peace, came and lived the life we live and suffered the things we suffer so we wouldn't be alone in those sufferings. But he didn't stop there. He suffered the death our sins deserve to free us from death and eternal suffering. When he rose from the grave, he secured life for all who would come to him in faith. And he gives us his very own spirit to remind us we are his We are loved, and he is working in us. He is transforming us to be the presence of his power and love everywhere we go until the day he returns. And when he does return, he will bring a kingdom where all the hurt we are facing today, all the tears we cry, all the sin that can bear us down, all the situations that are overwhelming will be no more. But we will be with him face to face, and his love will be the realest thing we know. The gospel of Jesus, what Jesus has done on our behalf, proclaims God's love to us. It was his way of shouting with a megaphone to the world, I love you. And the spirit who comes to make his home in our hearts whispers to us every day the love of God. And the longer I walk with Jesus, the more I realize both are really important in our lives. Both of those things are key for our walk with the Lord. So I want to close with this one last verse. Romans 5, 5 simply says, For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. One of the main things that the Spirit does in our life when we come to faith in Christ and he begins to live in us is to remind us who we are, remind us of the truth of all that Christ has done for us, and remind us that we are loved by God. 
He provides a personal experience for us to know firsthand what Christ said and did is actually true for us. So it is not just words on a page, but it is something that is spoken into our hearts. Not in a general sense that Jesus died to save the world, but Jesus died to save you. And he speaks that to us in an individual and an intimate way. I think the comparison would be like in a loving home where a child knows they're loved and parents even tell them I love you when they go to school and different times throughout the day. There's a sense of I know I'm loved in this family. But then when a parent walks up to that child they love, they pick them up in their arms, they hug them tightly and they whisper in their ear by name, I love you and you are mine. There's a different sense that comes with that. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit in us. From the heart of God to our own hearts, from depth to depth. So I want to pray to close this. And I'd ask that you guys stand with me as we pray. And my prayer today is specifically for those of you who just that doubt of God's love, based on what you're struggling with, based on the circumstances you find yourself in today, or based on maybe you've never really met this God and the love he has for you. He offers us his spirit to speak and whisper to us of his great love for us. And for us just to have an openness and an invitation for God to say and to work in our hearts in that way. So if that's you, I'd invite you just to raise your hand because I'd like to pray for you specifically And for us, there's this response to what God has offered us. To say, God, I need that. I need a reminder of your love in a personal way. Because of what I'm going through, because of what I'm facing. Because maybe I haven't felt it in the past days or weeks or months or some years. And so if that's you today, I just invite you to raise your hand and I'm going to pray for you. God, we thank you for the amazing truth that you are love. We thank you for all the ways that you have shown your love for us in creating us, in redeeming us, in giving us your spirit, and even in giving us your spirit, having something so close in us to say, I will always be with you. And when you cannot remember my love for you, I will remind you of my love for you. So Lord, I do pray for those specifically today who that is a struggle. It is hard to know that today. That Holy Spirit, you would speak to them in a way that only you can. Profoundly and mightily. That as they stand here in your presence, that doubt would disappear. So God, we commit our hearts to you again today. We thank you for the great love with which you've loved us. And even though our love is (laughs) imperfect and often conditional, uh, as a family together, Lord, we say we love you back. It's in your name we pray. Amen.